Hymn number 174, 
Pastor Brother Zach as he brings a message in just a few moments and pray that you will speak your word to us through him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Christians, we know that the Father hears our prayers. We know that our prayers are heard through Christ. Now, I would contend that we as Christians have the only prayers that actually matter. The prayers of unbelievers, they do not matter in this case. As Christians, we bridge the gap. We go to the Father through the Son. And uh, it is our responsibility to pray and to lift up uh, the communities of El Paso and Dayton and to lift up our nation and to pray and intercede for those who have been hurt and affected. So uh, that's the first thing I want to say. Uh, secondly, of, of course, not a lot of details are known, uh, as far as I know, about what happened in Dayton last night. But uh, if you're unaware, El Paso, it was clearly a, a, a racial-driven thing. This is evil. Uh, the idea of white nationalism is an evil, despicable, wicked thing before our God. And we must reject those things. Uh, we must stand and affirm God's goodness of all creation, of everyone uh, being created equal. And, and so with that said, we know that God uh, is also just and God will carry out justice. He will, his, revenge is his. Uh, vengeance is the Lord. It is his. So we trust in that because there's a lot of pain. There's so much pain in our nation. There's so, so many things that we can't right the wrongs of. 
so many things that we can't do enough about. We can't vote enough times. We can't pick the right politicians. Ultimately, we have to trust and rely and know that God is the one who will make it right in the end. So we must lean on that. And I think that's really important uh, to be said today, that we remember those things because it will be very easy to get caught up in other ideas and other things and things of the culture and, and even things that you know we may agree with on one side of the political spectrum, but we must stand firm in, in the word. And really so much of tonight's message is really about that. So before we, we get into the text tonight, uh, let us pray. Lord, we, uh, we come to you with humble hearts. Lord, we are not deserving to stand before you, but you have given us Christ and, and have showed us so much love and grace, Lord. So uh, it is through Christ we boldly come before you. Uh, Lord, we ask you to comfort those who are hurting. Lord, we ask you to comfort our nation, Lord, to heal so many wounds uh, across the land. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would carry out justice and you would carry out your vengeance one day, Lord. But it is yours. And may we always remember that. So, Lord, we, we entrust this time to you. May we be strengthened by your word uh, to stand strong uh, when uh, the culture is saying so many other things, when uh, in politics are telling us so many things. May we always trust in your word above all things and may we stand strong in Christ's name amen so in 2006 uh, Ted Haggard that's someone many of you may be fil- uh, familiar with uh, he was caught with a male prostitute who he had actually had a long-standing affair with I think who all remembers uh, the Ted Haggard scandal anyone out there I, don't, I, see, I see a few hands going up uh, of course he was a very uh, well-known uh, preacher Uh, This was a shock to the conscience of American evangelicals when it happened. You know, such a high-name preacher was caught in such wicked things. Uh, But in many ways, this was just the beginning of things to come over the the next 15 years, you know, up to the point of today. And, you know, so he kind of, he wasn't the first pastor who ever fell into sin by any means. But this was a really high-profile thing, uh, what happened with him. So, you know, I want to just kind of go through some things and different pastors, and then I'm going to transition into some more personal things. But uh, another name, some of you may be familiar with this name or not, certainly among my generation, young Christians my age uh, would probably know this name, Mark Driscoll. He was a pastor of a church called Mars Hill Church, and this was in Seattle. So he, he had become very influential in Seattle. And Seattle, as if you don't know, is a very difficult place for the gospel. And this church, Mars Hill Church, you know, uh, it was truly a light to so many and, and life-giving. Uh, so he, he also was the founder of the Acts 29 Network. And if you're unfamiliar with that, the Acts 29 Network, uh, it is a church planning network. Uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback, a whole lot. Um, it's a church planning network uh, that is still going on today, very, influ- very influential among young pastors. Um, and their whole goal is planting healthy and biblical churches. Uh, Mark Driscoll, he was forced to resign from his role as pastor after years of spiritual abuse within his church. Uh, he was very controlling. Uh, he, he had so many things that were just misogynist and sexist and even plagiarizing uh, many things. Uh, he is disgraced. He was disgraced from his role as a pastor. 
And he now is leading a new church plant, even though he has disqualified himself from being a pastor. Uh, another example is Tulian Tavidian. Uh, that name is a tough name to say. Uh, if you, maybe you've never heard of him, this uh, man is Billy Graham's grandson, actually. And he pastored a megachurch in Florida, uh, a Presbyterian church, a very popular speaker. And I actually, when I was at Southern Seminary, I heard him preach in chapel at Southern. And I remember thinking how great of a sermon was and, and how much that sermon benefited my own life when I heard him preach. Uh, Julian, a lot easier to say his first name, he had an affair and left his wife for his mistress, who he then went on to remarry. And now, he's in the process of planting a new church, even though it's disqualified from being a pastor. Uh, very recently, uh, maybe you're familiar with this name or not, James McDonald. Uh, he's a founder and pastor uh, of Harvest Bible, Cha uh, Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, within the last year, he was dismissed by the elders of his church after longtime evidence of spiritual love of money, and fits of rage. He was even, this is crazy, you can look this up, he was even working uh, to hire a hitman to have his former son-in-law murdered. While McDonald is disgraced now, we can probably imagine he will reemerge and seek to lead a new church plant like the others, even though he has disqualified himself from pastoring. I don't know that he would do that, but there certainly is this trend of well-known preachers, pastors, they become disgraced, they kind of stay out of the light for a couple years, and then they reemerge, and even though they're not qualified, they just... They love the limelight. There's something about it they love. Now, most recently and very fresh is the sad story of Joshua Harris. Does that name ring a bell to anyone, Joshua Harris? Okay. I think I see one hand and they're young, so that makes sense. So, Joshua Harris, he wrote a book, a very, it was a, a best-selling book uh, for young people called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And uh, this book, it, it talked it was, it was very influential on a subculture within evangelicalism, especially in the homeschooling community, but not only limited to that, but certainly very conservative churches uh, had a big impact. And, and so that book, uh, it, it was about how to approach relationships, especially uh, not dating, but he, he advocated for the idea of courting, and he really had a lot of, there were some good things in there. It's a book I've read. There were some good, helpful things in there to guard against uh, falling into sin and temptation in your relationships. But there was also, uh, you know how the Pharisees added things to the law uh, that really weren't part of the law? There were some things in there that were kind of like that. But overall, a book that was helpful for many people in cultivating the relationships, you know, the idea of staying a virgin before you're married, remaining pure. I mean, this was, this was what the book was ultimately about, so that when you are married, you can, that can be part of a healthy marriage. You're not bringing all this baggage into your marriage. Well, in the last year or so, Joshua Harris, he began to apologize for some of the things he wrote in his book because he was like 20 years old at the time. So now, you know, it's, he's like 40-something now. And while the book was far from perfect, this really should have been a sign of things to come where he began to apologize for certain things in the book. About two weeks ago, Harris announced on Instagram that him and his wife were divorcing. 
it was a shockingly sad revelation. And, and this is quote, this is from his Instagram. He wrote, We're writing to share the news that we are separating and we'll continue our life together as friends. In recent years, some significant changes have taken place in both of us. It is with sincere love for one another and understanding of our unique story as a couple that we are moving forward with this decision. We hope to create a generous and supportive future for each other and for our three amazing children in the years ahead. Thank you for understanding and for respecting our privacy during a difficult time. So this was the guy who wrote a book about marriage and remaining pure so that one day you won't get divorced. Well, as I read that, because I read it that day, that day he wrote that on Instagram, and in my mind, I knew immediately what was coming next, and what came next only took a week. One week later, just one week, he took to Instagram to announce his departure from the faith entirely. And this is a long, I'm going to read, this is a long quote. My heart is full of gratitude. Imagine, <laughs> he is announcing, he is leaving the faith. He no longer holds to the belief that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins and resurrected from the dead. And he starts a sentence, my heart is full of gratitude. I wish you could see all the messages people sent me after the announcement of my divorce. They are expressions of love, though they are saddened or even strongly disapprove of the decision. I am learning that no group has the market cornered on grace. This week I have received grace from Christians, atheists, evangelicals, ex-evangelicals, straight people, LGBTQ people, and everyone in between. Of course, there have also been strong words of rebuke from religious people. While not always pleasant, I know they are seeking to love me. There have also been spiteful, hateful comments that angered and hurt me. The information that was left out of our announcement of their divorce is that I have undergone a massive shift in, my, in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have, had, that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I am not there now. Martin Luther said that the entire life of believers should be repentance. There's beauty in that sentiment, regardless of your view of God. I have lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add this to the list now. To the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarded, regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church and for in any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. To my Christian friends, I am grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return your calls. I can't join in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake. And surprisingly hopeful. I believe with my sister Julian that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. That was his statement regarding departing the faith. I mean, there is so much there. Uh, of course, his view, and he talks about his shift, things regarding sexuality, namely uh, a very huge thing in our culture. None of us are surprised by, by that part. I was certainly not surprised to hear that uh, in, in the least. But another influential Christian man 
in the views of the church, I mean, he's disgraced. Maybe not in some grief, well, I mean, and certainly in his divorce, but in abandoning the faith entirely, where some of the others were, were disqualification by uh, a sinful deed. This, he went all the way to the point of total apostasy, of totally abandoning the faith, rejecting the resurrection. This is evil. This is wicked stuff. So allow me to get more personal now uh, in terms of uh, people I know, people who are in my life. I will not share the names, but I have two stories. Within the last uh, six months or so, within the last six months or so, listen to these stories. In March, I learned about a friend of mine from college. It was actually when we finished up our D-Now weekend. Josh, who was here preaching, uh, we were leaving the church, and we're in the car, and he said, so did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear cheated on her husband several times. We were, I was pulling out there, and my jaw just dropped and my heart sank to hear the news of that. This is a, a, a friend from college. Uh, he was, he's in ministry. He's ordained as a pastor. Uh, he, he's been in ministry for a long time, and his wife left him. His wife cheated on him multiple times. She had so much feet and ultimately so much love for the world. As I said, multiple lies and affairs. She cheated on him with at least two men in a six-month span and ultimately left him for some guy she's with now. More shocking than that, her own mother, the grandmother to their two sweet little boys, her boys are like five and three, the grandmother, her mom, helped her own daughter betray her husband and, the da- and damage the lives of the little boys the rest of their lives. Here's what she did. The wife, she would lie to her husband and say, I'm going to go take the kids. We're going to go to my mom's. Well, she would take the kids to her mom's. Meanwhile, her mom had arranged and paid for her to go to a hotel to meet up with these men and have sex with them. Her own mother and today, he is more in love with herself than anyone. I get disgusted when I see the photos that she puts because she puts captions all about how much love she has for herself, how she's no longer living, hating herself, and in reality, she has rejected the truth. She has rejected those who have, who have uh, rebuked her in her sin. She loves herself more than anyone and is in love with the world. It makes me angry. <laughs> Conversations I've had with friends who, who are trying to walk through our, with our other friend through this, it just makes me so angry. About a month ago, and this was tough. <laughs> About a month ago, my world, I mean, it was just rocked. Uh, even more when I learned the terrible truth of a close friend of mine. I was close friends with uh, both the husband and the wife. Uh, went on my first time I went to China. Uh, I went on mission trips with them. We hung out together a whole lot. And this is a couple that when uh, I first moved to Kentucky in 2011, um, to Louisville, I actually lived with them. They let me stay with them uh, for six months. Um, and, and we were close. We were close friends. And the husband, he was even an usher in my wedding. 
And so they had been married for almost 10 years, and they have four kids, and even fostering his nephew, so five kids in the household, pillars of the church and community. And the husband has been strong and firm in his faith for nearly 10 years after transformation in college. In college, uh, saw this guy have, have a drastic change in his life and in his faith and in his commitment to Christ and really living all those things out and growing deeper in what seemed, what seemed to be growing deeper in his love for God and his faith. All these things, just a few weeks ago, totally abandoned his wife and kids completely and ran away with a 19-year-old girl. 400 miles from Oklahoma to San Antonio, totally gone. All contact, gone, won't respond to anyone. I reached out to him several, several times, ignored. Man, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts seeing these. And, you know, I'm just 31 years old, and I have, you know, these aren't the only two people I've seen. Certainly there's other pastors, but as time goes on, you know, the song, another one bites the dust. It's like someone every year. There's someone I know, they're leaving, they're gone, they're abandoning it. This is tough. And as Christians, it's tough to see. I know many of you out there, you've probably all seen this with people you know. Maybe close friends or family members. Maybe not drastic things like this, but slow, steady, falling in love with the world. And this all leads us to our text. 2 Timothy 4.10 2 Timothy 4.10 says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So I want us to understand a little bit about 2 Timothy. Uh, This is Paul's final letter. Paul is in prison and he is waiting to be executed. He is awaiting his certain death. And these are the very last words of Paul that we have. And I want to read to you kind of the whole larger section from chapter 4. So uh, let's read together. Uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. 
When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Traus, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's four things from this passage we can learn. One is that our message does not change. It is so clear what Paul says to him here about uh, the message. Verses 1-5. through Our message does not change. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. At all times. All times we have to be ready. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. As Solomon uh, said, there is nothing new under the sun. There have always been false teachers, and there always will be false teachers. And as Christians, we must stand the line, we must stand firm and endure and know that this message does not change. No matter how much pressure there is in the culture. And this is tough because I recognize, you know, in our audience, this is a very, you know, overall a different audience than mine. And so, you know, I commend, and one thing I, I say to so many people lately is, I'm so thankful for our older generation of the church that has held strong. Because so much I see in my generation is people moving. They are tossed by every wind of doctrine. Another expression Paul uses. They're just tossed by every wind. Whatever is popular, they follow. But our message doesn't change. Number two, those who endure will be rewarded. Six through eight. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and at the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We will be rewarded. Our reward is not. That's not the goal. The goal is that we finally get to be present with Jesus. We finally get to be totally removed from this sinful flesh uh, and, and give it a new body, made new. All temptation gone. But certainly that is part of the reward. We will be rewarded, so we must stand firm. Number three, and this is really kind of the main point of so much of, uh, of this message, is that people will abandon the faith. People will abandon the faith. And he gives us this, uh, this story, this message of Demas. He was close with Paul. As far as we can tell, this was someone who was close with Paul. And we see him mentioned in a positive light, in a good way, in Colossians and Philemon. So Paul, this is someone that Paul had invested in. Paul had invested so much of his life in the Demas. 
who went on to throw it all away and completely abandon Paul in his greatest hour of need. All right, so Paul is awaiting death. He is going to be executed. He's in prison, and the fire got too hot for Demas, and he left. He skipped town. He abandoned Paul. He abandoned everything. He loved the world more when the cost of Jesus when the cost of following Jesus became too great, he abandoned the mission. And this is something that, you know, when I, I, the story of Joshua Harris, this is certainly one of those things. The cost of following Jesus, this is getting too much. I, I can't offend all these people. If I keep preaching this message, I'll offend too many people. I will isolate myself from too many people. The cost became too great. And they abandoned the mission. There will be people like Demas in our life who leave it, who leave the faith. It's tough. Man. When you see it up close, it is so difficult. And maybe you've had people in your life that were like Demas. You can think of people right now. They abandoned the faith. Maybe once they were close allies in the faith. My friend... Man, he was a close ally in the faith. But now they are far from God and in love with the world. And they may even despise you and your faith. But the good news, as there always is with anything when we come to the Bible, there is always good news. And number four is that God will not abandon us. This is so clear from Paul in verse 17 and 18. But the Lord stood by me, and He strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. He, of course, I think he's speaking metaphorically here, but I mean, it's also possible. I mean, Rome, we know what they did um, with lions and in uh, the Colosseum and you know gladiators, all that stuff. So. Who knows? Uh, but the, he says, 18, the Lord will rescue me. He will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So how can you tell that you are not like Demas? How do you know if you're not like Demas? Because I think certainly, you know, there was a time in his life where Demas was thinking, I'm a Christian. You know, I think if I were to talk to my friend, there were he would say, yes. Uh, yeah, I was a Christian. Joshua Harris, he acknowledged, yeah, I was a Christian. So how do we, I mean, how do we understand that? We've got to understand that one and kind of, you know, there's some translating to do really um, from both just kind of understanding what they mean, but also from a theological perspective. Uh, and how can we tell if we're, that we're not like Demas? One, are your deepest passions for things of this world or for things of God? That's certainly one litmus test. It's not the only thing but when we talk about abandoning the faith because we love the world are your deepest passions the things that drive your life they drive who you are they drive your decision making are they for the things of this world or the things of god now you know i, I would contend as baptists i think we certainly would all believe that when we are saved we are secure. God does not lose his sheep. 
So, you know, how do we understand this? I think this is a tricky thing to understand, but the Bible also says they went out from us because they were not among us. These people, they have an appearance of godliness. It seems like they're believers. And when, you know, in the case of my friend, many people were calling him to repentance. His church calling him to repentance, giving him opportunity, going through church discipline. But it came to the point, he's excommunicated from his church. He is now seen as an unbeliever by his church, and rightly so. But they were not ultimately of God. They never truly had their heart changed. And these are tough things to wrestle with, especially when it seems like they, they were believers. So, you know, what can we learn from this? How can we apply these things to our life and the story of Demas? One is that we need other people. We need other people. And Paul knew this very much. We must lean on other Christians in time of need. Paul was going through a difficult time. We see clearly here that Paul, Paul is lonely. And Paul is rattling off these people that have left him, uh, starting with Demas, who abandoned him, abandoned the faith. Then he kind of goes through just, you know, other people. He doesn't say they left the faith, but they're just not geographically close to him. He can't talk with them. He can't get with them. We need other people. We must lean on other Christians in time of need. We cannot isolate ourselves. Perhaps there are times where we're isolated, not by any wanting to be isolated, but just our circumstances. We must lean on others. In this case, Paul, he still had a couple people to lean on. I mean, as alone as he felt, he did have a couple people to lean on. One, of course, was Timothy, who he was writing to. And there are people who won't leave you. There are people. They won't leave you. Maybe, maybe 11 out of 12 do. But if there's one left, not everyone's going to leave. And those people that don't leave, you know that you are in this to the end with them. I mean, there are brothers, uh, you know, brothers in Christ of mine I can look to, and I, I'm pretty certain they're Christians, and they probably are saying the same of me, that we look to each other and we say, we are in this to the end. And so many of these sayings in recent memory, Joshua Harris and then our friends who are going through these things, we look to them and say, uh, we, we've talked about this, we are in this together. We are going to make it to the end. We're going to fight till the day we die. There are people in your life, they won't leave the faith. They will stand strong with you. And he says this, Luke alone is with me. He wasn't putting down Luke here. It's just Luke was all that was left. Of everyone, Luke was the only one. If anything, he is commending and saying, Luke has stood with me. It's just a matter of fact statement, I believe. I don't think he's saying anything negative about Luke here. Stay close to these people. Stay close to these brothers and sisters in Christ and lean on them in times of need. Another application. Pray for your pastors and ministers. Pray for Daniel. Pray for him. Pray for him and his family, how he leads his family, how he li- leads his li- lives his life. He needs your prayers. There's a great burden It's certainly a joy and a privilege to serve God in this way. But it is tough. It can be lonely work. For Brother Hurd, as he he continues ministry, I know Brother Hurd is such a great example for so many people in the church who look up to him and know 
and see someone who is fighting, continuing to fight the faith, who has seen many things in his life, many cultural tides come and go. Pray for Brother Hurd. Pray for David as he continues to lead, lead the choir and lead so many people, so many people in his influence and in his life and people that look up to him and trust him. Pray for him. Pray for Chris, who's new to this church, who's adjusting to being in a new city, who's young in his marriage, young in his life. Pray for him that he would have strength. Pray for me that I would lead my family well, that I would love my wife well, that I would love my son well. Pray for us. We need your prayers. Because it is tough. It gets lonely. Not everyone understands. Pray that you won't fall in love with the world. Pray that you won't fall in love with the world. Take notice. Watch your life. You know, Paul, again, he exhorts a million things, but one of those is like, examine your life. Look at yourself. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine your heart and see what's going on and pray that you won't fall in love with the world because so many of these things, I mean, they're not, the major event may, may be like drastic, but there's almost always a leading up to it. There is this gradual shift of the mind. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, be, uh, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That renewing of our mind must continue our whole life. You must continue our whole life. Reflect on your life and commitment to God. What ways can you keep watch on your life and doctrine? So have you noticed your theology shifting with the culture? And if so, go to God and repent and renew your mind. So the culture will continue to shift. It's going to continue to happen. I think we can see where it's going. We can see things are going to get worse before they get better unless the Lord comes back or unless there is great revival in our churches not just this church, but churches across America. And it feels like it's a massive earthquake, the, the way the culture is right now, and it really is. It is so much different than what you guys saw for so much of your lives. It's insanity. The things we see on the news, the thing, it's just, it is crazy. And so much of it has just kind of become normal. We are so desensitized to it. But for many who abandoned the faith, it didn't happen with one great seismic event. All right, As I said, it was slowly and they lost sight of the Savior and His goodness. And they exchanged the taste of the bread of life for rotting pig slop. My friend who left his wife and four kids, I just think so much of the story of the prodigal son, and I pray he returns. But I'm like, you gave, he gave up so much. A great marriage, four great children. He left all of that. He he like abandoned everyone, cut off contact with everyone, like left that for pig slop. It makes no sense, but this is what people do when they leave the faith, and it's disheartening, and it hurts. But we cannot forget. That if we are saved, we belong to God. You belong to God. You are His. We are His possession. 
and that no one or no thing can snatch us out of His hand. Nothing. The world can't do it. Satan can't do it. Other people can't do it. We can't do it. And we must find strength from this. We must be strengthened from this. This should be a huge encouragement to us that if we're in the faith, if we truly believe, if we have a new heart, we can't leave. And we must find strength in this and know that as the world seeks to lure us away, it's going to do all it can. Satan's going to tempt us from every way. Our own sin will seek to take us away. But our God will hold on to us and give us something far greater than anything the world can offer. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. Your words of life. Your words that tell us that Christ is alive and this is what our hope is in. That if Christ is not resurrected, we above all are to be pitied. But Lord, we know the resurrection is real. And this is what we claim our hope in. The hope is not in this world. The hope is not in good relationships. The hope is not in a good, long, earthly life. It's not in our possessions. It's not in cultural approval. Our hope is in Christ alone. On the solid rock. Lord, all other ground is shifting sand. So Lord, we, we come to You. May we be humbled and know that we are no greater than any one of these examples today of people who have abandoned the faith, who have fell into to tremendous sin without what seems to be any real repentance. Lord, we are not above these things, so we must keep watch and keep guard. Help us. Lord, put the people in our lives to keep us accountable, to call us out when we're sinning. And may we have the humility to acknowledge it, to repent when those times come. May you break us to know that this is a hurting and broken world and that there are people who need the message of hope. There are people that need to come to salvation. We don't want to be alone in this, so let's go get people. Let's go find people to walk this journey with us. That, that you will call your sheep. That we preach the message, God, you will, you, you will use it powerfully. So Lord, we entrust these things to you. We'll give you praise and Lord, strengthen this church. Strengthen this congregation. And may these words dwell deep in our bones. In Christ's name, amen. This time we'll have our invitation. Uh, if you need to respond, I will be uh, seeing forward. If you need to come uh, and, and just come to the altar and pray, uh, now is certainly the time for that as well. Now let's stand together. We'll sing together. I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided.